This is a Geek History of Time. Where we apply nerdery to the real world. I'm Ed Blaylock. I'm a father uh, in my 40s. New father in my 40s needs to be said. I'm a 7th grade world history teacher. Uh, my background in history is a BA, bad attitude, from uh, the University of California at Davis. Uh, go Ags. And my focus was on West Europe and Eastern Asia I'm Damien Harmony. I am also a father in my 40s. I've been raising two gingers, as nerdy and geeky as I can get them to be, uh, while still retaining their decency. Um, I am a Latin teacher. Uh, I have a master's degree in history, focusing on uh, women's suffrage in England and how socialists have responded to that. I have a bachelor's in history, which focused on a myriad of things. Uh, but at current, I have some focuses in, or foci, in ancient Rome, uh, as well as uh, modern Congo and a few other places throughout the world. Uh, I have been geeking longer than I've been teaching. I've been geeking since, oh, before I was the double digits, but I can tell you the very first uh, game I really remember playing was probably the TSR Marvel uh, role-playing game uh, where I got to be Captain America, and I learned that he knows his martial arts as well as Jarvis does. Wow. Yeah. That, I don't know if that's a real endorsement of Jarvis or if that's a real <laughs> indictment of Cap's hand-to-hand skills. It's an um, indictment of TSR. Yeah, <laughs> and boy, could we indict them for a lot of stuff. Um, but, you know, I'm going to choose to write hagiography instead because I'm that kind of historian. Uh, and my own background, of course, also starts with TSR, as so many of ours do within our subculture, with uh, advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, Gary Gygax is to blame for how I turned out as an adult. Um, Do you remember your first class that you played? Uh, yeah, I'll give you three guesses. Paladin. Yes. <laughs> yep, right out the gate. Yeah. Right out the gate. And and it has hardly varied ever since then. Um, so, what are you playing right now? Uh, currently I'm playing a uh, Dungeons and Dragons game, uh, okay. and you're in that game yeah. as well, uh, as intermittently as, as being as an early being father, father will allow. Yeah. Will allow. Uh, but we're having a lot of fun with that, um, just kind of stretching our legs and really kind of, I think we're all about fourth level maybe. Yeah. Uh, and so that's been, that's been a lot of fun. Um, uh, so I'm playing that game and I'm, I'm hoping uh, to hop into a couple other games soon. I'm also running my children through a dungeon. Yep. Uh, it's their first time playing D&D, and uh, they're, they're absolutely loving it. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. What are you playing? Uh, well, I just want to say before I talk about that that you got to be careful about you know where and how you say that you're running your kids through a dungeon because that <laughs> might get you some weird looks. But uh, right now I'm in that 5th edition D&D game. Um, I'm also intermittently... Uh, and have been for a long time playing uh, a, a running campaign uh, of right now we're doing first edition AD&D, oh. going old school, because our DM is that kind of guy. Um, it's actually a lot of fun, theater of the mind kind of stuff, not it's a lot of miniatures, none of that, not a lot of that. Um, and uh, in that, I'm actually not playing a paladin. I am, in fact, playing a cavalier. Now, the interesting thing about that is, hold on, hold okay, on. Okay. Everybody who knows me knows that, like, I'm, I'm, I, I move toward that that axis of the of the player character thing. But I'm, I'm, I'm working very hard to play this guy as very much chaotic good. What's in it for me, as I can, as I can get away with and still be 
good aligned. Okay. Um, and I'm having an awful lot of fun messing with the heads of some of the other members of the group who've only ever seen me playing the lawful upstanding good. lawful good. We have to go save them. And, you know, it's still, well, we're going to go save them, obviously. But while we're doing it, let's make sure we get paid. <laughs> Fair. And, you know, uh, and, and I'm as much, and the character I'm playing is as much motivated by, oh, no, this will look great on a resume. So litigious. You know, the bards, yeah, the bards, the bards will sing about this. Yes, this will increase my, <laughs> my rep. This is awesome. Perfect. Wow. So you're like a kid in a magnet program. That's I kind of am, yeah. 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 Um, so what are, what are you reading right now? What do you got going on? Uh, right now I'm reading uh, Punching Nazis and Other Good Ideas by local comedian nice. and author Keith Lowell Jensen. Um, it's a study of... Well, essentially, like, what's going on in our current culture, mm -hmm. as well as an examination of the Sacramento area's uh, long history with the punk scene and fighting for and reclaiming uh, the punk scene uh, from Nazis who nice. came up here and, and did yeah. all kinds of horrible things. I'm hoping to uh, start reading uh, Star Wars and the History of Transmedia storytelling soon. But I also might just take a dip back into rereading some old Star Wars novels because I loves me the Star Wars novels. Okay, uh, they're they're really good. What are you reading? Uh, I am currently uh, working my way through uh, a translation of the Manual of Fighting written by Joachim Meyer mm. uh, in the 1500s in Germany. Uh, as you know, mm -hmm. as our audience may know, may not, I I am involved in HEMA, uh, Historical European Martial Arts. Uh, and so German longsword is mm -hmm. my jam. Okay. Um, and this is how the long English... is the German longsword? Um, well, the the I'd say standard would be from tip of the blade to pommel, mm -hmm. whole length of the weapon. Uh, generally is going to be I'm five six, probably four feet. 10 inches okay so pretty goddamn um, long it's it it is it is indeed a a long sword yeah uh, they they generally when you when you read a manual about long sword fighting it is it's a two one. it's a two-handed weapon it mm -hmm. is not what dungeons and dragons calls a long sword that right. is an arming sword um <laughs> a long sword the shortest long sword would classify as what you'd call a bastard sword Okay. Um, the, the absolute shortest ones have a grip long enough for you to get your hand and two or three fingers of your other of your off hand. Okay. Onto the grip. Get and, some real lever action. Yeah, going. and yeah. and everything everything is leverage. Everything is sure. all those angles. So anyway, that's that's what I'm reading right now because I need to do my homework before I go back to joining sure. classes because I've been away while you know having a parenting. kid yes. parenting. Uh, and then after that, since you go into what you're going to be reading next, after that, I'm going to pick up the next volume in the, um, and now I've forgotten the title of the series, but um, yeah, it's gone to me. But there's a wonderful historical mystery series uh, by Laura Jo Rowland mm -hmm. um, that is uh, set in the Edo period in Japan, okay. and her protagonist is a special agent of the Shogun known as the investigator of people, places, and events. And it's it's a lot of fun seeing the conventions of the mystery genre placed onto that particular time and place in that particular culture. That With, sounds fun. It is. It's it's a hoot and Ichiro Ichiro Sano novels, the Ichiro okay. Sano series. Nice. So well, that sounds fun. Well, last week, uh, or last podcast, uh, we we delved into the history of what led up to the Comic Code Authority. 
and we pretty much ended right as we were getting to the uh, hearings and to the uh, to the, the the grandstanding that was the political theater <laughs> uh, for for these uh, for the CCA to have gotten started. Uh, so this time we're going to finish off that story and probably get into a little bit of the legacy of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the CCA is something that's uh, very important to the both of us, though mm-hmm. we might not have liked it. It led to the art form as we know it and grew up loving. Uh, so uh, without any further ado, this is a geek history of time, uh, diving right back into where we left off with the CCA. We'll see you on the other side. So uh, it's 1954, right? Yeah, uh, and you might bounce back a little bit uh, mm. earlier, but uh, for me, uh, I'm looking at like horror films and how much it's help. It, we're we're tapping into our anxieties here, yeah. and and I'm looking into that. And in 1954, there's this book that came out. It's a really important book to this story. It's called The Seduction of the Innocent, by yep. Doctor Frederick Wortham or Wortham. 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 Okay. Uh, he'd been writing against comic books since 1948. So, oh yeah, no, so, he had he had a real mad on. Oh boy, howdy! Uh, and interestingly, I what what I tend to do when I'm looking at history is I'll I'll like look at a milestone and then back it up and see how we got there. So, mm-hmm. in 1948, he's been going off on comics probably since before that. Uh, Collier's Magazine ran an interview with him in 48 called "Horror in the Nursery," <laughs> which uh, in which he said, and I quote. The number of, quote, good comics is not worth discussing, but the great number that masquerade as, quote, good certainly deserve close scrutiny. So they're amongst us. They're hiding they're amongst hiding us. They're hiding amongst us. Gee, you could, you could almost take that straight out of that interview mm-hmm. and put it in the dialogue from uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, or, that's... that's or, or talking about Hiss or the Rosenbergs or... Or go back I, further uh, during the Third Reich. Yeah. Uh, there are Germans amongst us who are not true Germans. Or go to the... Uh, I forget which politician it was. He was a dude from Michigan, though. And he said, the very fact that the Japanese Americans haven't done anything is proof that they're planning it. Uh, just that hysteria. And I the word you what? used uh, in the yeah. last podcast, hysteria, is, yeah. is very much a part of this. This is all a product of its time. So he says this in 48. Um, in 1948, we've got the Marshall Plan. You've got communists in Greece. You know, you've got the Truman Doctrine, which is inherently unstable for us to follow. And it basically yeah. reasons that the world is a disorderly place, which is true. But the disorder is a threat to us, which is problematic. Because that's like saying grass is green, which is true, which threatens our very existence, which... How yeah. are you going to not green the grass other than torching it all? Yeah, well, there there was so. this there was this pervasive idea amongst everybody in politics mm-hmm. at the time that communism was the uh, uh, hogweed of Ooh, point. Yeah. of of the political realm. Yes, that it was this horrifically toxic thing burns you on contact. You know, if you try <laughs> to cut it down, you got to wear gloves. I mean, it was, it was this yeah. horrific thing that was this invasive species. Yeah, it it wasn't just this is a a an ideological counterpoint to our own. It was it was or that honestly, there's a plurality that can exist. Yeah, or yeah. or that you know it doesn't have to be all one or all the other. There's right. a, there's a spectrum, and we can kind of find you know something something in between. Yeah. Third, talk about third way liberalism, sure. which was you know born out of this later, but at that time it was this idea that it was it was like hogweed. I was originally 
searching for kudzu, but I think hogweed is better mm-hmm. because hogweed is no kidding destructive. It is dangerous to handle. It's it's horrible, ugly, terrible thing, and you've got to spend a lot of time and a lot of resources fighting it. And that was the view was, oh my God, if this thing takes root, there's not going to be any stopping it. And the Soviet Union is act was in fact actively funding communist parties in nations all over the world. True. They were they were funneling money into the into the common turn. It was it was legitimately a thing, which feeds back into talking about paranoids. The moment anybody who is paranoid gets yeah. any evidence that there is legitimacy to what they're afraid of, it just ramps everything up worse. You know, and so so yeah, it was it was not merely a a popular hysteria. It was a an academic political hysteria that that communism was viewed that way. Mm-hmm. Now, in part, I think from my own point of view, my own study of this, sure. you know, looking at you know political history, um, the Soviet Union. Meanwhile, the leadership of the Soviet Union was absolutely convinced that they had to foster communism mm-hmm. in as many other places as they could, and they had to destabilize the West because otherwise, we were coming for them. Yeah. Because they'd been invaded God knows how many times previously by like everybody in the world. Yeah. Talking about Russia, not the Soviet Union, of course. Right. But, you know, and and that had that had given them a particular form of societal political trauma mm-hmm. that they were absolutely convinced that the West was was out to get them. And there's two things I want to, two or three things I want to address there. One, uh, the American idea of uh, a world order was for security, and the Soviet idea of world order was for security. They're both looking yeah. for their own security. American security came through institutions. Uh, Soviet security came through land. Yes. So we're going to set yes. up this buffer zone. Yes, the Warsaw, the Warsaw Pact is. Exactly. is Ultimately, it's it's a border zone to prevent land invasion from Germany. Again, from from quite frankly. from well from Germany. Yeah, I mean geographically, it, it really geographically, it yeah. has to be from Germany, right? You know, but yeah, uh, and and you know, a strengthened West Germany was something they were absolutely deeply afraid deeply afraid of, and rightly so. I mean, let's take a look at you know how Germany was allowed. Speaking of hogweed, Germany yeah. was allowed to grow. <laughs> Oh, fascism yeah. yeah and i mean he had to make a deal with the devil and yeah. then the devil bit him you know yeah, it's, well, it's yeah. that kind of thing yeah you know uh i would point out though that uh two things one the marshall plan offered money to the soviet union oh yeah one of the first people it offered to mm-hmm. two by 1950 i want to say because stalin dies in 53 yeah uh but by 1950 stalin had basically told the international mm-hmm. we're not giving you money we don't yeah. care that didn't mean that he didn't say go ahead and do your own thing um, and that destabilizing uh, or, or just harrying the West, yeah. getting us jumping at whatever we could, would mm. keep the pressure off of the Soviet Union. Yeah. And he did see the Marshall Plan as being an invasive species unto itself. Oh, yeah. Um, I would also point out that it's interesting you brought up this idea of hogweed because I believe the only way to save your garden is to destroy the hogweed. <laughs> eradication. Not just sequestration, but no, no, eradication. No, no, no. No. Yeah. So there, there can be no middle ground with hogweed. Mm-hmm. On top of that, the very metaphor of hogweed implies that you have a garden. It implies, and a garden wow. is not natural. A garden is ordered Manicured. in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. You 
as a gardener, get to decide what is a weed and what is not. Uh, we can actually both look out my window right now and see some very pretty yellow flowers that I'm going to be eradicating probably <laughs> tomorrow because uh, they don't yeah, belong in my cause, grass. Because they're weeds. Um, because they're weeds. Now, yeah. they're very pretty and my daughter loves them, but I don't want them in that spot. Hence the garden yeah. thing. So I really like the idea that, uh, that yes, uh, Americans saw any disorder in the world as communist, yeah. as a weed, and as a threat to their beautiful garden that they were trying to set up. Now, in at, their at, defense... As, as I want to yeah. say, I want to I put an asterisk on as communist, as at least potentially communist. Mm-hmm. Because the, the idea That's of the true. Truman, the, the idea of the Truman Plan wasn't necessarily that they're all communists, oh God. It was the moment there is instability... That gives room for communism, communism yeah. and and you know authoritarian anything to to take root. I mean, Truman was mostly worried about communism because you know Stalin. He was time. worried about Stalinism. Yeah. let's call it what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, which yeah. But so you're right, but it's yeah. that disorder in the world. Disorder is is yeah. The, the steps the steps within the Truman Doctrine mm-hmm. are are important. I think while we're talking about it, just because. Sure. There, there is, there is a train of logic, and the train of logic does make sense mm-hmm. from a certain set of assumptions. Yeah, well, and it's you I know, mean, and, there's and, your teleology, yeah. teleology, the, the begging the question. Yeah, I, I'm not going to pretend to know how to pronounce words. Um, but actually, you got that one right. Hey, go me. Uh, you know. But it is begging the question, and here's the question: It's begging is, and and by the way, if you don't know what begging the question is, I suggest you look it up because it doesn't mean it raises a question. It means you set up. An assumption, and then base your actions off that assumption, and therefore you're reacting to your assumption as though it's the prevailing reality. Yeah, and it's not hardly ever. And you're and you're begging for somebody to say, "Wait, what about this assumption you made? Right. Is that really true?" Right. Uh, and so I, I would point out that with with the Truman Doctrine, it not only said disorder in the world is a threat to order anywhere, which yeah. is problematic. Um, it's poetic, but it's problematic. Uh, the other problem with it is that it said we have the means to stop disorder in the world, and we should use those means. Both of all, all three of these things are very problematic, and and will essentially get the American empire because it was an empire, still is in many ways. Uh, it will get the American empire chasing its own tail, and instead of really being a force for good, it became a force for order. Yeah. Now, if you happen to be under the umbrella of what was orderly. You had a 50-50 shot of it being good for you, (laughs) but it also meant that we were supporting a lot of uh, fascist regimes and saying no to a lot of people who said, hey, about this Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Um, So it's 1954, like I said, um, and and he's very much Truman doctoring doctrining, uh, the heck out of comic books, uh, this guy Wortham. Uh, He then goes to a symposium in 1948. Um, in New York called The Psychopathology of Comic Books. You can just tell by the name where this is going to go, right? So it's December 20th, 1948. Okay, the day before my birthday, minus 30 years. 30 years. Uh, 29 years. Um, But uh, Time Magazine reported and printed pictures of uh, a place called Binghamton uh, in New York. Uh, These residents went house to house collecting comic books uh, and then they put them in a giant bonfire and kids are watching and there's pictures of kids watching these comic books being burned. 
I'm just glad there were no antecedents before this that would. Well, worse. you know, that would be at all dangerous <laughs> or troubling to anybody. Comic like, books. Holy crap! Now keep really? in mind these comic books were. Um, well, well, I'll get to the assumption that they make later. Um, but keep in mind these comic books. We're talking about comic books, kids' comic books, and I understand like there's there is a tremendous effort on the part of the State Department at this point to fight communism with the kids like later on you yeah. end up seeing like uh communism trading cards uh where you see ho chi minh's rookie card and oh, wow. mao zedong's all-star card it's hilarious okay um and it's a wonderful lesson that i used to teach when i taught u.s history but so there is an effort and, and again we talked about this last last time there was a recognition that kids are scary and that we need to keep kids safe and we can't and trust control. them and under control again talking about order, order. Exactly, uh, and so Stephen the, Stephen King's mm-hmm. uh, principles of horror. Oh, uh, he talks about the uh, Apollonic and the Dionysian. Oh, Apollonian and, and, and Dionysus. That, and, that, okay. and, that, and that you know, true horror mm. is is created the, by an artist when you throw the Dionysian out, and and you know, and and it's all about chaos versus order. It's right. not. It's not good versus evil. It's not. I mean, it's it's only light versus dark because of the way we our primal brain sure. kind of kind of kind of ties that together. Sure. You know, but it's it it is always order versus chaos. Mm. Like if you if you throw out any horror franchise, that's a good point. You can you can you can take about ten seconds and figure out what the Apollonic mm-hmm. or Apollonian. I don't know which one is correct. Uh, element is mm-hmm. and what the Dionysian element is. You're absolutely right. You know, and very often, I mean, Dionysus is connected to madness, but he's also yeah. connect, connected to wanton lust mm-hmm. and uh, excess. And there's Freud again for you coming Boy, back. Boy, yeah, fear yeah. and desire. Yeah, well, and yeah. and and so I think it's I think it's important. What what got me off on that on that jag was you mentioning you, were, you know sorry, keeping you were jagging off to yeah, yeah. what kind of Dionysian? Nice, nice, thing? nice. Thank you. Good work. <laughs> That's one for you there, um, but uh, you know it. It it's it's the, the thing to remember is this. This is all about order and control. Yeah, and we love our kids. Yes, we we love them desperately and beyond beyond measure. But we also want to keep them under control for their own good and because they terrify us. When your son starts standing up. You will have Fuck every. <laughs> I don't even want so to true. think about it yet. You will have every urge and desire, and there's nothing wrong with the urges and desires to stop him from falling and hitting his head. Yeah, he's already fallen off the couch once on my watch. I'm yeah. already see, I'm paranoid enough as it is. Already see wanna, it as your watch oh, too. God, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I do. Yeah, I do. Paging Doctor Freud, mm. um, but no, it, it's it's a really <laughs> really important. I mean, I mean, you see my house. I have tile in the in the yeah. kitchen. Yeah, I've got hardwood floor on the floor. Yeah, my kids learned pretty quick not to fall down. I can believe it. All of their mental energies went toward <laughs> not falling, over. not falling yeah. on our heads. You know, yeah. and and there were all your kinds of a big noggin. Too. Oh, he's that huge. Was... He's top heavy. He's <laughs> like an orange on a toothpick. But, uh, but uh, it's uh, it's it's a thing that uh, you know. Again, that desire to protect yeah. is the desire to control. Yeah, there are those levels, and and I can certainly look back to uh, loves that I have had that were not. Uh, I'm going to say appropriate or healthy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where my desire to 
attend to someone very easily overlapped with a desire to control what they were doing because mm. I know better. Yeah. Now imagine that on a government. I'm looking level. out for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's, that's a level know, of codependence. Yeah. Well, it's it's a, it's a level of codependence, and when when you mention you know look at that on a governmental level, you know that is from from my upbringing in a in a Reaganite Republican you know household, mm-hmm. and, and me still at heart being a. a uh, You're an Eisenhower, Eisenhower Republican. I'm an Eisenhower yeah. Republican. Yeah. Um, you know the the fear of government is the fear of that overreach, right? In certain areas to a certain level, and and then you get into the tension within that ideology, those ideologies between okay, well, you know, mm-hmm. we need to we need to watch out for the government overprotecting us, but by the same token, it was you know republic it. it consistently has been the Republican Party and conservatives who've been looking for a greater degree of this kind of social control over the rebellious elements of society. So mm-hmm. there's this weird... It's it, Because it morphs know, from uh, protection to order. Yeah. And that duty to order mm-hmm. will take care of everything else. Mm-hmm. And and I would point out, by the way, what was the, the way that communism was sold in the 50s to... Or Stalinism, ultimately was sold in the 50s to Americans was about they will control your thoughts. They will control you. It's all yeah. about control. So we have to control ourselves way more so that they can't control us. So that us. they can't come in and, you know, yeah. yeah. We have to have our thought police. <laughs> right. Because our thought police are benign and their thought police Or even our, aren't. our, our, our thought you police know. are a necessary evil. But if we, if we don't police our thoughts, then will we become... Uh, susceptible to a foreign group yeah. thought policing us, and that'll be way worse. Yeah. So it's. Um, I used to play tetherball when I was a kid, and uh, there yeah, I'm all five six of... now as an adult. I was. I'm, I'm not even going to tell you how much I hated tetherball as a kid. But anyway, sorry there, to continue. <laughs> there are ways that little people uh, de- defeated me roundly. I've been okay. six feet tall yeah, since I was... I was thirteen. So okay. Uh, but when I was a kid, I played tetherball, and we had all kinds of rules. You you could grab the rope. It, it, whoever was serving got to call the rules. Okay. You could You could say holding. You could say pity patting, where you couldn't okay. hold it, but you tap, tap, tap. Yeah. Uh, you could say, you know, roping. You could grab it by the rope and throw it if you called that rule. Um, but the kids who were amazing at it and who were a lot shorter than I was, too, uh, they called a, a, a game. They called rules called no nothing. And no nothing meant you couldn't hold it. You couldn't do... I, the ball had to constantly be in motion. You could not touch the rope. You couldn't touch the top. You couldn't touch the pole. It, it, was, was, all, it was all... All the momentum. And, yep. Yeah. All, and yeah. hitting and back hitting. So what would happen in tetherball... I swear this will come back around. Ha, <laughs> tetherball. Nice. Uh, but uh, what would happen is uh, Eddie was actually his name. He's a okay. younger African-American fellow. He's a fourth okay. grader. I was a fifth grader. He just ruled the tetherball court, right? Um he would get it going. And if you had oh. it in a rhythm and you could just keep going, that ball is just wrapping and wrapping. Oh, yeah. You couldn't there was no stop way to it because he yeah. had the angle just right. It would oh, go yeah. over your hands. So what you had to do, the only chance you had, and I got this by watching him because somebody else was, was wrapping it on him. And he's a little dude. He went to the other side of his half circle. He jumps up as it's going past him and hits it harder past him. Now, the person who was hitting it is off rhythm because it comes past their hand quicker. And then he runs back and he knocks it. And he, he had a way of hitting it and it's unspun. Oh, yeah. Jeez, but, but it was that move, which absolutely reminds me of this. If we can hit ourselves harder and faster 
in the other direction. Then we won't get flogged. Nice. And then we can control the trajectory and stuff like that. Again, back to control. Back yeah, to oh, yeah. order. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, uh, he's he got kids. Well, he doesn't have them doing that. This is this is part of a national hysteria in the 40s. Yeah. Kind of a practicing. This is Wortham. Yeah. We're talking about. Yeah. Back this to is, Wortham. Yeah. This is practicing. No, this is a little Eddie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, it, it's it's back to the hysteria of the of the, of the late forties, um, yeah. and so they have a big burning. Now, in nineteen forty nine, there is a guy named Gershon Legman, and he wrote a book called Love and Death. Titles were lurid as hell back then. Uh, he said in this that comic books would train kids like Pavlov's dogs, uh, or like Skinner's pigeons, uh, by showing them such awful things that it would break their spirit. He also claimed that comic books distort real life and give kids, quote, blood to, quote, feed on. It's like he never met a kid. Well, it's really... yeah, kind of, kind of like he never met a kid. See, here's the deal, though. In, in my own experience, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, remembering being, you know, a kid, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 11, 9. How old were you when say? you first read a comic book that you oh, can remember? Geez. Like where you started actually reading them serially instead of like, oh, this was at a cousin's house. Reading them serially. Mm-hmm. I didn't really get into following comics mm-hmm. until I was a teenager. I was the same. Once I um, had my own money yeah, and I could ride my bike down to Flying Colors Comics. By the way, if you're in the Concord area, Flying Colors Comics is still around. Okay. I would ride my bike down there with my allowance and get as many comics as I could and then buy myself an ice cream and then ride my bike all the way back uh, home from Concord through Walnut Creek. Holy cow. Yeah, it was great. It was good exercise. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I was about to Burn say off age. the ice cream. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah no, uh, the first, I mean, the first comics that I remember reading, mm-hmm. not as like, you know, following storylines or anything like that, would would be Batman. Okay. Batman was, was my first. Okay. Um, and... Mine were the New Warriors. Oh, nice. And my brother and I have very a very cool. soft spot in our heart for the New, New Warriors. Warriors. Yeah, yeah, well, I can understand why. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Batman was, was the first one that I can, that I can remember sitting in my living room mm-hmm. and reading. And part of the reason I remember it is because it was when my parents noticed I was actually reading silently and they commented oh, on it was neat. that I was, that I was reading it. And, and my father remarked to my mother, you notice he hasn't, he hasn't said a word for half an hour. Wow. And I was sitting there and it just hit them like wow yeah it was it was the sudden realization that i was doing i think i was six uh might have been younger i don't recall but you know and and so i mean my my immersion in comics Mm -hmm. goes back that far my my real fandom is is starts later later. yeah Yeah. now i think that's true of a lot of people though yeah and and you know talking about what what he's saying about yeah you know about kids mm-hmm. um the first statement he makes i i want to i want to laugh at because right. as especially and and part of this is testosterone because testosterone is a hell of a drug you know the, the the things that people say about little boys the generalizations that get made about little boys you know you give a little boy a stick what does he turn it into it's a gun it's it's or a, a gun or a sword or a weapon you know because testosterone is a hell of yeah. a drug and even in the minuscule amounts that prepubescent kids have it, it's sure. a thing. Well, you know, so so him talking about, you know, lurid images breaking children's spirits. Have you ever watched a group of middle schoolers try to campaign to be allowed to watch a horror movie on the last day of school? 
I have. Yeah. Like like it was a concerted like they were they were getting a lesson in community organization <laughs> that was almost entirely self-directed. They were like, "Okay, so wait, so you're saying if everybody gets their parents to sign this waiver, we can watch a PG-13 movie." <laughs> Like, like, cause seriously, I don't even remember what it was they wanted to watch. It was Make some, them watch Army of Darkness some, next time. Yeah, some <laughs> some schlocky sure. horror flick that I was like, I'm sorry, I hate horror movies. I'm nowhere near this. Get yeah. somebody else to chaperone that. I'll be in another room. Right. Give me the crafts table with the sixth graders. By the way, everybody, I hate sixth graders. I want you all to understand I'm terrified of them. I don't want to deal with them. Seventh graders are my people as a teacher. Also, that's kind of my level of maturity. My wife will account for that uh but you know i i was i wanted to be anywhere but that room but the idea that you know lurid gore sure all this stuff is going to break children's spirit is like have you have you met an 11 year old boy no like have you spoken to one like right. for 10 minutes oh yeah and then his his other point after that one was it gives them blood to feed on yeah what i find interesting about that is I can kind of see there's there's a there's a seed of something kind of kind of factual kind of true in that, but he's he's blowing it out of proportion, mm-hmm. and he's in a big an way, anecdote and calling it science. and calling it and calling it science, and you know I I think there there is an impact mm-hmm. that that images and and storylines and that kind of stuff can have on psychology. But it's 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 much more subtle and much more fleeting. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you talk to a kid ten minutes after he's read an EC horror comic, mm-hmm. and you ask him a series of questions, he's going to have a set of answers, and mm-hmm. they're going to be more. They're going to be influenced by what he just read. They're, yeah. they're going to be you know more lurid, more whatever than they would have been before he read the comic book. But if right. you then ask him the same questions. A day later, yeah, you're back to zero. It's, you're back to you're, yeah. you'd be back to baseline. And and what I find interesting that I'm going to go into a little bit more is this is the same argument that's been used with other media ever since. Oh yes. So. Oh yeah. So uh, the the U.S. federal government saw yeah. a panic, and yeah. uh, they they've never seen a panic they didn't like, so they jumped <laughs> in. Politicians on it. have never have never yeah. seen a panic they don't like um, because they represent gets, us. They they yeah. Let's and, and be that, real. Yeah, and that gets uh, people to the polls. So they jumped in in 1950. Now there's a U.S. Senate special committee that was already doing an investigation into organized crime, and I find this fascinating. Uh, one part of the investigation looked into the effects that crime comics had. Mm-hmm. So here you've got, you know, crime. Yep. Uh, you, you've got the effects of crime comics. So, you know, are we breeding juvenile delinquency into yeah. our kids with our literature? Um, your detective comics and or the comics that dealt with bad guys being rich people, essentially. Yeah. Um, which, to me, there, there's, the, the, there's a bit of a Marxist bend to me. Um, really? Yeah, a bit. I hadn't, uh, it's hadn't picked up on it. A little like bit, a little bit. Uh, it's, it's not without its flaws. But it, if you look at like the senators, the ruling class is mm-hmm. looking at the influence that popular literature, accessible and free, virtually free to anybody, because uh, a lot of kids would just sit there in the drugstore and just line oh, up yeah. sitting down because the money was at that time in the soda fountain. Yeah. Um, so they didn't care if the kids read the comics or not. Uh, or bought them or not but they're looking at what the proles are reading and seeing if that affects how they feel about the rich ones 
there's a thing going on. I I I, I see what you're saying, mm-hmm. and I think I think on a I th- I think that I don't think probably, it's probably yeah. I think that's that's on a, certainly on a subconscious level. I mm-hmm. think I think a lot of the stuff that Marxism wants to attribute to you know class conflict, class warfare, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I think there's something to that idea. I think straight up Marxists mm-hmm. make it more overt than it actually is. Well, I have or, a or they make it. They make it. We should have them on. They, yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll love the hell out of me. Yeah. <laughs> oh Jesus. Oh, they're nice. But um, no, I get what you're saying though. It's I yeah. think it's a matter of programming versus intent. Okay. I, yeah. I, I would I would bridge the gap there. I but, think I think that works. Yeah. So they they are looking at this, and one judge on the committee. So they call these people in for these committees, right? And one of them stated that he had cases where boys had committed a crime that was patterned after one depicted in a comic book. So anecdotes are a thing. Yeah. Right? And so the anecdotes are a thing that work. Yes. Anecdotes are a thing that works still. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. According to him, kids could reasonably say that the comics made them do it. There's... Yeah, an ontological is an ontological leap. There's there's a huge. leap of huge huge yeah. leap there. Like where's Zeno when you near need? Yeah, him, like know? like <laughs> I'm sorry, you like, left several steps yeah. out of you the still didn't train. Go of, you didn't get even. Yeah, and the little bastards would get sympathy and not have as harsh a sentence. Not on his watch. That was his logic. Was not so much that it's corrupting them, but that it could make other judges feel sympathetic because oh, little Timmy. Poor Red. kid. Poor kid's mind has been warped by these right. hideous devil Let's not books. give him. Let's not punish him enough. So it didn't even get to the. This is bad for the kids. It's. It got to the. This is this, threatening to the mechanisms of law and order. And order and order and order. Yeah. And and law became a mechanism of order. Order. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Wortham's book uh, rides this wave to prominence. Like oh, it became like, a bestseller. Yeah. yeah it was. Oh, yeah. He huge. he. He retired, basically, on the sales <laughs> yeah. of that book. He didn't have to do... He really probably didn't have to work another day in his life. Yeah. Um, he, yeah. Fear sells, man. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'd argue fear sells better than sex. And we all know that mm-hmm. the line is sex sells. Yeah, well, Fear is a hell of a lot better. And again, we go back to fear and desire. Yeah. So, uh, in 1954, uh, it claims... Uh, that His book claims that his studies with children... Uh, that comic books were a major cause of juvenile delinquency. He's really just driving this yeah. home. And really what this was was guilt by association. So kids who had committed crimes also read comic books. Um, That's because all kids were reading comic books. That, exactly. was, that was the medium at the time. Like You don't see people blaming Catcher in the Rye for Mark David Chapman. No, you don't. You know, uh, or or the guy who shot Ronald Reagan. Well, you know, and here's the deal. His name I don't remember because yeah. he didn't succeed. Yeah, Hinkley. Uh, Hinkley. John Hinkley. John Hinkley doesn't get a middle name because he didn't succeed. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> 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 oh Lord. Yeah. Uh, oh, but um, like, we're not blaming Jodie Foster for that. We're not blaming Catcher in the Rye. You know. Uh, well, you know, I, I think I think something. Again, going back to what we talked about mm-hmm. in the first episode, or what I what I brought up in the first episode, because yeah. it's a major sticking point for me, is the art form mm-hmm. in our culture. Again, mm-hmm. being in this kiddie ghetto, 
mm-hmm. uh, TV tropes, you know, children's children's ghetto, kids kids ghetto. You know, the the, the art form is for children. And I'm going to get to this point in a since few minutes, yeah. since it is an art form for children, right? It is automatically less legitimate, less uh, important, less meaningful, less mm-hmm. lesser in in all of these ways. Mm-hmm. And we don't blame Catcher in the Rye for John Hinckley or. They're the other guy you mentioned that's already gone in. Mark David Chapman. Mark, Mark David Chapman. We don't blame Catcher in the Rye for them because, well, see, that's part of the American canon. Right. That's that's literature. Well, because by that you know, time, any adult who reads that is not going to think I should go impress Jodie Foster yeah. by killing someone. Yeah. Like that, you're, you know, yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. And, Ju- and adults would have good judgment. Yes. Children haven't developed. Children, yet. yeah. And, and therefore they're more therefore susceptible. they're more susceptible and whatever. Yeah. And, and, yeah, the, everything else I want to say I think would would be would be better better done later on. Okay. But but yeah, it's it's a it's a really big thing to me mm-hmm. that certain media, certain art forms are stuck in this position where they can be saddled with this responsibility because they're not taken seriously. It's this it's this it's weird really yeah. it's this weird two-sided kind of thing where uh-huh. well, this is for kids so, you know, pff, whatever, we're not going to take it seriously. But then at the same time, and again, this is part of that fear, desire, duality kind of thing going on, sure. is at the same time, well, because it's kids, kids are malleable, kids are all this other stuff. And so if this is trashy, then, oh, my God, that's dangerous. And suddenly we take it really seriously. When we do our episode on Saturday morning cartoons, we're going to come back to this. Oh, hard. Big time. Big, yeah. So, so yeah, uh, most kids read comic books. This is just a fact. Uh, including the ones who became delinquents, but uh, also kids who went on to be Eagle Scouts or fight for the country or have sex with blonde women. They also read comic books, uh, which was apparently the goal in the 50s. Like, if you watch a lot of movies... Well, yeah. Yeah. I I got to think for brunettes. I don't know. Yeah, well, Um, my wife is a brunette. See, I got to think for your wife. What? Uh, Hold on. We're going to scrub that part out. Yeah. Uh, But Dr. Wortham was uh, doing some serious confirmation biasing. Oh, huge! Really? You know, and so yeah, the comic yeah. books caused the children to become delinquents. Yeah, but he wasn't done. According to Wortham, comic books were messing with their understanding of physics, <laughs> which I love um, because Superman could now fly, and so he <laughs> he said he said, and I remember when I was growing up, people had a problem with Wiley e. Coyote. Yeah, like you know, straight up, yeah, like because like, he kept up, living, like because he, yeah, because he survived all those falls, <laughs> you know. And I even remember back when Dennis Miller was mildly funny. Um, so this is way a long early. time yeah. ago. Uh, but he talked about how a child was found at the bottom of the Grand Canyon with springs attached to his feet. Nice. Uh, I don't think it actually happened. I don't. But, yeah. No. Uh, but yeah, so he uh, he said that uh, they were um, implementing and reinforcing. Homosexual thoughts because Robin was drawn with bare legs, uh, and often Escandalo. and 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 often sitting in a very spread eagle, well, spread Robin uh, uh, kind of position. I see what you did there, uh, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, you did actually see what I did there. I don't know. Uh, I've been wearing these these green underwear for just this joke, um, but uh, and he also seemed solely attached to the older Batman, uh, and so. Okay. Yeah, you know, and he was so an he's orphan, right? So you know, and it's not again a lot convention of other adult figures, right? It's yeah, and and again, conventions of the art form At the being time. being completely overlooked. But this is this is accusing Paris's wife of of being a witch. 
you've yes. gone too far. Yeah. You know, it, it's yeah. the hysteria goes to the point where now you're accusing everybody of it. Yeah. And, and, yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, that play was written in the 50s as well. And this is where I want to jump in. Please. Uh, with Army McCarthy hearings. Oh. I did not realize mm-hmm. this, but the Army McCarthy hearings were during April, May 1954. Yes. Which is the same time mm-hmm. as the beginning of the Senate uh, Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency. That's right. Uh, so this this is happening at the same time. Now, it's important to note that the Army McCarthy hearings were the point at which McCarthy himself was famously confronted uh, with, with the phrase... Uh, have you no decency, sir? At long mm-hmm. last, have you no sense of decency? I just love that they let him get to that point before asking. Yeah, like yeah, like like <laughs> wait, what? Yeah, yeah. But but it was it was um, you know him him going after Marshall. Uh, well, he went, he, after he, Marshall. Got, he went after Marshall. He went after a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. But what finally wound up doing it was he tried to badger uh, the Defense Department's lawyer, mm. uh, the head of of the Defense Department's legal team. Mm-hmm about a junior lawyer in his firm who had been a member of a legal association in his youth that had tenuous ties right. to the common term. Probably did like a, a, a canned food drive yeah, to help the yeah, Russians yeah, during the war. You know, yeah. Well, it was a little bit more than that. But okay. it was it was, you know, he had been a member of this association. Sure. This association during previous hearings had been shown to have ties to communist mm-hmm. organizations. And so this this was a young, essentially in Washington terms, a, a young kid, you know, guy in his late twenties, early thirties, who who McCarthy was now trying to trying to badger right. the army's lawyer about, and and it was finally, look, this guy works for me. I'm vouching for him. I'm telling you, this was something he did. Mm-hmm. Well, he was probably older than in his twenties or thirties. He's been vetted. Though. He's been vetted. You know, are you just gonna? I mean, can you just let it go? Right. You know, I mean, the 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 more uh, political version of can you just please not? Right. You know, and it's also the political version of yelling at a dachshund for barking at the door, though. That's kind their job. Of, I mean, I mean, yeah, but you know, but you know, in, in a practical sense, mm-hmm. uh, because these hearings, the the Wortham hearings, weren't, which I think would have been interesting historically if they had been, because that yeah. would have things may have gone a little bit differently in mm-hmm. that case. Um, but, but the, the army McCarthy hearings were, were broadcast on live TV. Right. And people finally actually saw McCarthy in full form mm-hmm. being the sweating, frothing, bullying, foaming at the mouth, blowhard mm-hmm. that he was. And that, that image was what led to his downfall censure by the Senate and everything else. And and it's interesting that you're you're talking about the uh, you know Wortham eventually sure. going to that place where he was accusing everybody you know of everything wife of yeah yeah and and that was basically what led to McCarthy having the same fate it it it's it's the yeah. same cycle it is it's it's the it's the same you, cycle you can plot it out you can oh it's yeah. like a really and, jacked up and, version of the hero's journey yeah and you know? yeah, i like <laughs> that that's good and and you know people with with more letters after their name and us and, mm-hmm. and you know more erudition have mapped it out yeah. you know i mean it's it's a known it's kind a of quantifiable cycle, thing quantifiable like can, thing. yeah but you know it was it was interesting to me doing you know my admittedly not as thorough as i'd like research for this that that these things 
happened at the same time. That, that That's this, a really good point. That this panic about juvenile delinquency, which is tied to this kind of nebulous thing about, you know, uh, uh, organized crime. Right. You know, this this particular panic about the enemy within right. being our kids who we have to keep control on is that is going on in tandem. I mean, at the same time mm-hmm. as the very overt, because the fear of your kids is something that's covert. It's something you don't really, you know, you, you, can, you don't, you, you, you say, you know, I'm worried about kids being turned into delinquents. What you don't say is, I'm afraid of my kids. Right. I'm afraid of other people's kids. Right. Because that's not socially acceptable. That's, yeah, that's you're not, absolutely right. It you know, can be implied. It can be implied. Right. And it can be sub rosa, but it's not anything that you're ever going to openly admit to unless you're a school teacher. In I, which I would case just you'll also, talk to your peers and say, dude, yeah, no, they're crazy. But um I would like to point out that the non Latin teacher has used more Latin in our podcast than the Latin teacher. Yeah. Please carry on. Okay. Not to worry. <laughs> um because, you know, in, in, in bits and phrases, it's very useful. As, like, trying to use it as a spoken language, you might as well use it as battlefield code. Oh, wait, the Romans did! So, um, and I got sidetracked by my witty remark about battlefield code. But, um, you know, the, the fear of, of, of your children or your fear of other people's children is not, not something you can... Yeah, is not something you can say aloud. The fear of, oh my god, the commies... Is something you can say out loud, yep. and that and that was that was what grabbed the big time front page headlines. The sure. Wortham stuff was going on at the exact same time. That's true. It was part of the same neurosis, same zeitgeist, same same zeitgeist. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say mass neurosis because I, I think, think you're right. Better, you know, um, it was it was part of the same set of, of subconscious fears, mm-hmm. but you know it would have been buried on page four, page five. Yeah, it wouldn't just past have been the funnies. Yeah, yes, near near the funny pages. Uh, you know, so I mean, the, the biggest thing I'm, I wanted to point out in regard to the McCarthy hearings and sure. their relationship to this is that these are mirror images of each other. Absolutely. These 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 are I mean not even mirror images because that implies a reversal. These these are yeah carbon copies almost of yeah, this is an elder and a younger yeah so, basically so the nightwing to the batman as yes it were. as it were uh wortham also went off on wonder woman said that she was giving little girls the wrong ideas about a woman's place in society wow which i always guy. thought <laughs> i always thought that was hilarious because like her her one weakness is if she's ever bound up by a man which seemed to happen every other comic so well, you know that's because her writer had a thing for that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Which, actually, which is which is in fact documented. Yeah, you know, there's a movie out about there's it. Now. A there movie are out, several yeah. books about oh, it. Yeah, and connecting and her to Margaret Sanger. There's oh, all yeah. kinds of cool shit. Yeah, and the and the weird relationship that you yeah. know he he had he had with his mistress I'm, and her cousin or something like that. It was it was well. The deal was he was married. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is my understanding of it. I'm mm-hmm. sure you know we'll get commentary about me screwing this up. But my understanding of I it was I love your optimism that people was, will listen to this. Well, you know, hey, yeah. I'm going to plug the hell out of it. So we'll <laughs> see. And plenty of my friends are hardcore nerds about this stuff. So, uh, but you know, he was married. He had they they had children, mm-hmm. and the mistress mm-hmm. was their babysitter. Right. And and what is interesting about that is he was for the time period really open about the fact that like oh yeah no I'm sleeping with both of them it's, and it's they a, were both three way cool relationship too. they were both cool with it I think the historical record says they were both cool with it I I would like based on You'd like the to fact hear them most say it. I I'd really like to to read you know because yeah. again it's still the fifties and as much as he's 
or late forties into the fifties, as much as, as much as he was a very feminist kind of thinker about what a woman's role ought to be and not, not confining girls to, to the sure. kitchen and all that stuff. Sure. He was still the man of the house. He's also still, he's the guy with the ukulele at the party telling women what feminism is. Yeah, you yeah. know, I kind of get that feeling. And I'd, I'd really I like to that. see some kind of a primary source, like a diary entry from his wife or something, talking about her being okay with it. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good know, point. That's a really um, good point. I, I couldn't find Wortham saying anything about media and S&M, oddly enough. Uh, oddly enough. So there are some people that fought back. Um, uh, publishers of, of uh, comic books because again there's no CCA yet well and as as part of the hearings mm-hmm. uh, the publisher of EC mm-hmm. this is my favorite my favorite anecdote about the hearings and you probably got it in your notes somewhere mm-hmm. but he was questioned by a senator you know holding up you know a placard of, of you know a, a comic book cover yes the real the really famous one with the blonde woman right. you know having been beheaded you know in the, in the hatches right, right, there right. in the frame and and having this back and forth about would you would you not say this is in poor taste? He says, well, you know, I think uh, it 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 could be, you know, and and you know the the details that he mentions are ones that he had actually told the illustrator to remove right from the cover before it got but because the original cover had actually included all of these elements that are in poor taste. So it's, it's like, like that scene from Spinal well, Tap. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you should know. have seen the cover they wanted. Yeah, you know? oh my <laughs> god. Yeah, you know, and 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 so yeah, I just I Yeah. It's it's interesting that um well, the, yeah, here, people people did fight back and and Well, and some of the voices of reason were actual senators, uh which yeah. is rare. Um but they said that his study only studied juvenile delinquents. Without comparing them to the other kids, so his no response control. was, "Yeah, his response was so classically '50s." Though he said, "The kids who didn't become delinquents may even be worse off." What the fuck? <laughs> I know. Like, like, know. how is it? I mean, like, yeah. right now in this podcast, I just used language that you know I, I was raised not to. Well, I'm not worried about that. But like. Yeah, you know that people in that room had to think that, and it was the fifties. Well, he was doubling down. So they down. couldn't. I mean, like he was doubling down, and, and like some because he was hoping some people would be like, "No, he's probably right." Yeah, because we're all afraid of kids too. Because we we're all yeah. Because but but like, how is it right that that we don't have? What I want to know is how do we not have right the the recording of somebody actually clamping a hand over a mic to shout, <laughs> "What the fuck!" I. I mean, to that point, like, yeah. how do we not hear somebody in the background going, "Are you fucking kidding?" You can't have it both ways, like, sir. Like, like, yeah. how do you have you no sensibility? Have have you no yeah? So uh, have you no sense of reality? Sir? Now, what I want to come back to is the horror comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the horror comics are one of the big reasons. Because again, there's no superhero comics really. Yeah, there's at, a few at that point, yeah. but it's mostly horror comics, right? And these, this is what's really, really getting pumped out. At the time, there were a lot of horror comic books on the market, and they were showing pretty gruesome things. But what nobody seemed to get was that the kids weren't reading those. The adults were. Well, because no adult wanted to admit to reading comic books. Partly. Because. Partly. Yeah, you're absolutely the ghettoization of the art. Yeah. But this goes back to what you're talking about with the, the Japanese comics, right? Yeah. So here's the thing. During World War II, a lot of soldiers were reading comic books. It was a good morale booster. It was good for entertainment. Uh, when they came back, these soldiers kept reading comic books. Now, their their tastes had changed. Uh, they don't need to read about a war. They've been through it. 
So now, and again, they want to read about yeah. what they just saw with Susie at the Five and Dime and stuff like that. So it was mainly for this audience that horror comics were even written. Yeah. They weren't written for the kids. Mom and Dad still had a say in what little Timmy brought home. Yeah. Mom still cleaned Timmy's room. Yeah. I found these comics. I don't ever want you buying them again. He'd either find a better hiding place or he'd only read them over there. Or he would bring home Archie and Jughead, you know? Uh, still, the U.S. government was poised and ready to overreact on behalf mm-hmm. of children, like they always do, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of quaint now that we Except have... Except in terms of gun violence. Well, there's that. Uh, it's quaint now because we have kids who've been abducted and put into detention facilities away from their parents with no real timetable or infrastructure to return them by the very same government. So, you know, it's, it's uh, maybe that was when America was great. Um, but uh, Wortham testified before the Senate. Other people did too, including people in the comic book industry. But Wortham, he's a psychologist. He knows how to work a room. He knows how to whip a, a, a Fuhrer. Uh, he totally outclassed them. Uh, and well, yeah. Also, the people who were testifying for the comic books were businessmen. They were the business side of the comic book industry. They weren't the artists. Very few artists actually testified. Um, and it was mostly the guys at the head of the comic book companies who didn't know what they were publishing. They were just ch- yeah. counting the beans. Um, the Senate committee advised the comic book companies uh, that, quote, a competent job of self-policing within the industry will achieve much. Now, 15 years later, you get the MPAA doing the exact same thing for yeah. movies. Now, what I want to point out here yeah. real quick is uh, the decision to found the mm-hmm. CCA. Yes, actually happened mm-hmm. prior to all of these hearings because people in the publishing industry had gotten wind yeah. Caught, of the fact the Caught, caught, caught the scent of it coming and had said, okay, look, they're, they're going to clamp down on us. We don't want to deal with them yeah. actually regulating any of the stuff, so we got to do something. They agreed and mm-hmm. had started forming the CCA even yes. before Wortham got his chance to get up in front of the tape recorder microphones and, and not TV cameras, but, you know, the press yeah. to, to do his dog and pony show. So October 26, 1954, yeah. the CCA starts. Uh, it, it prohibits... The following things. Graphic depictions of violence, gore, sexual innuendo, vampires, werewolves, zombies, ghouls, sexual abnormalities, seduction, etc. So that means the horror industry is wiped out of comic books. Gone. Which leaves a vacuum for superheroes, ultimately, again. And you'll start to see that popping back up in things like Journey into Mystery and Tales of Suspense. Suddenly you have superheroes in them instead of these these one-off stories. It discouraged any... And here's a fun one. Any challenge to authority, any depiction of police as being corrupt, politicians as being mean, judges as being dirty. So all the things that the the superheroes fought against in the 40s wiped out because order. Uh, Also, it encouraged romance, but only if it led to marriage. Uh, And also the CCA said that good must triumph over evil in every instance. This is where superheroes are, are made, man. Like... They come back, and in the beginning, like, I, I have uh, an app on my uh, iPad, uh, and I, I, I can read all the Marvel comics ever, basically. Yeah. It's wonderful. I've been reading them all from the beginning, and they are shit. Um, <laughs> they're awful. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> they, well, you know, if there's, no, if there's no chance of the hero losing, then there's right. no tension. There's no, well, there's no And stakes. there's no carryover either. That's the thing. Like, it all has to be solved. And what happens oh, and is... a self-contained unit. In the so. last three panels, they solve it. 
every time. And it is, oh my God, it's so unimaginative. But that's what they had to deal with. In 1955, the Senate committee gives its final report stating that it approves of the CCA, even though it represents, and not even though, but because it represents, quote, steps in the right direction. Uh, now, this does not mean that the Senate agreed with Wortham completely. They saw problems in his study. They uh, Basically, uh, lawmakers back then actually read about things and thought about things. Mm-hmm. Um, so they didn't fully endorse Wortham's conclusions about the effects of comic books on children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they pointed out, dude, you only studied juvenile delinquents. Yeah. Uh, the Senate <clears throat> committee did agree, though, that comic books might have an unhealthy effect on kids that were already emotionally disturbed. Or morally delinquent, but okay. th- they also said it's nothing conclusive. This is only intuitive, uh, and and you can kind of make that argument intuitively. Yeah, but I don't know that you want to legislate to that. No, uh, and they didn't. To their credit, they didn't. It, yeah. it was oh, you're going to do it yourself. You, you fixed it. We don't need to do anything. So they backed the self-policing by the comic book publishers. Their final report also issued a warning to comic book companies saying, if this doesn't work, that we're going to revisit the issue. Mm-hmm. And by whatever means necessary, we will, quote, prevent our nation's young from being harmed from crime and horror comic books. So essentially, we can't prove that you're bad wow. for kids, but we're assuming that you're bad for kids who are also already on the fence. And unless you fix what we can't prove is bad for kids, we're going to come back and fix you. Wow. Yeah. Talk about having it both ways. That's the like government. politically, yeah. Well, so the CCA puts its stamp on every comic book that meets its guidelines, which means yeah. that horror comics don't meet these guidelines. Uh, graphic depictions of violence, gore, sexual innuendo, vampires, werewolves, zombies, ghouls, yeah. sexual abnormalities, etc. Don't get you the stamp. And here's how it works. If you don't have the stamp, stores and newsstands won't accept your comic books. They won't put them on the shelves. They won't sell. So now the publisher eats all the costs of publication. And yeah. they're not going to do well, that. Well, they're not going to... Yeah, if they're not going to make any money off of it, if they can't distribute them... Yeah, well, and... Horror for, comic publishers go out of business. Quick. Well, yeah. And Super. and for and for the art form mm-hmm. uh, and for the medium, mm-hmm. maybe is a better term than art form, but for the medium... This is the beginning of where we get modern comic book culture, mm-hmm. because you know the the it's in the '60s, '70s, and and later when storylines start evolving again, mm-hmm. that you start seeing people wanting to read about more mature themes about other stuff. You know, Marvel yep. famously, you know, Stanley famously got a waiver uh, to write about drug addiction. Yeah, and it was a horrible episode well it's, but it's still but a step. still it's, yeah. it's it's a milestone and and what what you then get is well you know comic books aren't something they're this they're this special thing they're mm-hmm. this they're this weird not really magazines not really cartoons not and you start seeing the beginnings of comic book stores right rather than comic books being on the shelf with other magazines good point speaking like, of magazines yeah uh, others adapted. They're like, "Oh, it's a comic book code authority. It's not a magazine authority." Mm. So, Mad Magazine mm-hmm. became Mad Magazine, uh, and CCA had no authority over that. Yeah, and so Boy, they could be they very subversive. Their, yeah, way thumb their nose at authority. Their very existence was subversive. Never yeah. mind the content. Yeah. Uh, Bill Gaines, who had actually been a teacher and had argued in front of the Senate committee that comics didn't have a negative impact, and he actually brought, you know, information. Uh, he he gets moving on that. It's it's really horror comics get really toned down. Mm-hmm. Uh, magazines just go crazy. They mm-hmm. have fun. 
uh, but it's very vanilla. There's no real horror. Uh, Marvel Comics was one of the companies that was still producing horror comics as well as, quote, sci-fi comics. Mm -hmm. But they're really tame. I mean, really, really tame. And they start going more for superheroes. And this really sets the tone for the next 40 years. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's it's like you're saying. This is where you get your comic book culture in a major way. Now, I told you at the beginning... Okay. Of, of the last podcast. Yes. That the other title is this, Why Does My Dad Hate Adlai Stevenson? Yes. I've been waiting eagerly to learn about this. <laughs> so at these committee hearings, there is a publicity-hungry senator who wants desperately be, to be president. His name is Estes Kefauver. 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 Kefauver, however you say it. Sure. Yeah. I'm a Latinist. Yeah. We okay. don't have a letter K in Latin. Yeah, okay. Fuck it. Uh, he's from Tennessee. Yes. Interesting thing there. He rails against, quote, indecent and scurrilous literature. And he points out that the crime rate is up, particularly in areas associated with juveniles. And this is burglary and auto theft. And he was right. These things are happening. Uh, And it goes back to that fear of the children like Mm -hmm. you talked about. Now, again, he doesn't make any really worthwhile claims of his causation, but just correlation. And he totally steals the spotlight from Wortham. So Wortham thinks he's going to make himself. And oh, yeah, Kefauver's no. like, that's Kefauver, nice. Yeah, no, yeah, it, it turned into Kefauver's. I mean, uh, yeah. Kefauver wound up getting the chairmanship of the of the hearings, if I remember correctly. Well, and he, he's a weird guy, and I'm going to get to him a little bit. Um, but he is your 1950s conformity-conscious American politician. And he sets himself up cartoonishly at times, which is, is fun, uh, against what he sees as like the seamy underbelly of popular culture of the 50s. He's the dad who bans dancing in flash dance. Yeah. He's that guy, right? That's a good analogy. Yeah. Uh, the weird thing is, is he's one of only three Democratic senators who refused to sign the Southern Manifesto. Southern Manifesto is the document that Southern senators and congressmen uh, said that they would, they wrote down, here's what we're going to do. We're going to oppose Brown versus Board oh, with yeah. the law as hard right. as they could. Yeah, yeah. Uh, amongst other dumb shit that it said, it said it is destroying Brown versus Board. It is destroying the amicable relations between the whites and the Negro races that have been created through 90 years of patient effort by the good people of both races. It has planted hatred and suspicion where there has been heretofore friendship and understanding. Oh, fuck that. He didn't sign it. Okay. The other two guys who didn't sign it? Yeah. Al Gore Sr. Okay. And Lyndon Johnson. Wow. There were a couple of Republicans that didn't sign it as well, but this is about Keith Fowler. So uh, he also was, and there were several House of Reps guys that didn't, yeah. about a dozen. Uh, he was on the organized crime committees. Uh, yes. Now, if you've seen Godfather Part 2, yep. that's the committees. Yeah. Um, and that's what ties into the comic books, right? He had chops. He actually was a uh, populist who cared about the people. He was doing good governance. Yeah. He overreached here. Yeah. Here he overreached. I think he got tricked. Uh, or not tricked, but like it's kind of like you can lead a dog to do the wrong thing. Yeah, I, I think... And that's I think, what he did. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. And he, he was a weird dude Like in a lot of this. like He often held hearings on things that didn't warrant in-depth investigations. For instance, he had the switchblade hearings. <laughs> Which, Switchblade knives, oh god. Yeah, yeah, he had those. Yeah. Um, and he brandished for the press various lethal objects, including bayonets, to talk about how dangerous switchblades are. Okay, I don't because they're pointy. I guess they're both knifey. What do they have in? Yeah, I, I don't. Mean, so the New Yorker said that his activity in the comic book hearings was quote an investigation conducted by the senators that had been compared to a court run by kangaroos, and the analogy is not unfair except possibly to the kangaroos. 
The normal rules of evidence do not apply in congressional hearings. Badgering is appreciated. The verdict has frequently been arrived at in advance. And the Senate committee was determined to indict the makers of comic books. And the hearing was designed as a spectacle. So that's Keith Alver. Yeah. What were you going to say? Um, well, just, yeah, my, my reading about Keith Alver is he, he, he's a complex guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, side note in regard to his, to his role politically, he, he was also involved in the destruction of a Democratic machine in his state. Yeah. Because he... he oh, the had, guys with had, the guns that... Yeah. Yeah. It, well, well um, there's that, mm-hmm. but there's, there's also, just on, on a more basic political note, mm-hmm. the Democratic machine... Uh, in his state wound up trying to come for him because uh, they didn't appreciate his law and order. There was something about his his particular brand of, you know, I'm for law and order kind of, kind right. of record. Uh, and uh, they wound up they wound up trying to get him unelected. They, they, they threw all their support behind his opponent and he used that as a weapon in nice. getting reelected. Um he he wound a famously wound. I don't remember the name of the guy running the the machine, mm-hmm. but the guy running the machine basically had had said, you know, this guy's. Uh, he he used the term a pet coon. Wow. And and so Keith Kefauver wore a coonskin cap to a press. Uh, yeah. Press uh, to a press press, press conference. conference. Yeah. Uh, cold brain uh, wore a coonskin cap to a press conference or, or put it on in front mm-hmm. of the press and said I may be a pet coon but I ain't his pet coon nice as an indictment against He's his populist. opponent who was you know and you know um, it's it's a remarkable thing mm-hmm. looking back on all of that sure with you know 50 60 years of, of hindsight um, how, how how much our political discourse has changed. Yeah. And in some ways how much it hasn't. Yeah. You know, um, that, that, you know, it, it's a reminder to me as a historian that this is a different time. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't, we don't think a lot of the time about the fifties, you know, modern American history. Right. Doesn't get treated like a, a different time. True. You know, but dude, it was. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that's, that's, Something that, that I take away from, from talking about Kefauver is mm-hmm. he, he was a politician of a completely different era. Yeah. You know. Um, well, and he was, he was out of step with politicians at the time, too. Yeah. Hence his success. Yeah. So my dad read comics both from before and after the code. Because my mm-hmm. dad was born in, I believe, 42. Okay. So he's reading comic books through his childhood. Uh, so like when by the time he's 12, that's when the code kicks yeah. in, right? He didn't like that the government got into that stuff, and he pinned it all on Kefauver. Okay. Okay. Kefauver had run for president twice, mm-hmm. uh, losing the Democratic nomination in 52 and 56. He lost to Adlai Stevenson both yes. times. Yep. Uh, and uh, in 1956, he becomes Adlai Stevenson's vice presidential running mate. Now, my dad's older brother is two years older than him, so he... Uh, would have been old enough to vote. I'm not sure if he did, but my dad was still two years out. But my dad was a lifelong Democrat all his life. I mean, he, he yeah. grew up in San Francisco. It's yeah. a very Democratic town. Um, the only time he wasn't was when Reagan ran against Mondale. Oh, and yeah. he told me only recently, he's like, your mom would kill me if I told you. <laughs> the funny thing is, my mom also told me, your dad would kill me. Kill me if you found out, yeah. And I'm like, I think you both secrets. made a mistake. Uh, but... <laughs> My dad was a lifelong Democrat. He was anti-Adlai Stevenson. 
because, well, because of he his connection Kefauver. to Kefauver. So in 1963, Kefauver dies. Uh, I told you this, the, yeah. the journey was much more worth. Than yeah, the well, no, it's still I, I find it entertaining. It's, oh, it's yeah. a great personal kind of hook. Yeah, uh, Kefauver dies of a heart attack. Um, well, he dies a few days later. He's speaking on the floor of the Senate in 1963. Has a heart attack. Uh, he dies at the age of 60. My dad not upset. great way to put that i like it yeah so that's that's kind of what got us the comic book code now i have a little bit about the legacy but uh i I see in your notes yeah i i want to i want to get into that so uh, as uh, well so the legacy of the comic book code uh is is well frankly deserves its own episodes but for starters um it did something that you and i both came to appreciate as it rejuvenated Superheroes. Yeah. They were languishing. They didn't exist, really. They, they, you know, a little bit. But, like, the explosion of superheroes happens as a result of the vacuum left by there shall be no horror or sex. Yeah. Um, and because superheroes were one of the only few acceptable formats. They always won. Uh, they always were on the side of justice and what have you from the 60s to the 70s. Things change in the 70s, and we can get into that in yeah. another podcast. Well, but. And, and in another podcast, mm-hmm. you know, specifically, I, I want to talk about Batman. Oh, absolutely. Because it's after the code that we see uh, you know, the shift in, in focus in, in who his rose gallery was full of. Right. That's when we really start to see the beginnings of supervillains mm-hmm. uh, because, again, of the restrictions of the, of the CCA. Absolutely. Uh, secondly, it makes storytelling really boring. Yes. Which means a lot of cloning between competing brands. It also kills off most of the other brands. So you end up with just DC and Marvel, mm-hmm. and they have similarities that continue for like the next 40 years. Uh, Plastic Man and Mr. Fantastic, Thanos and Darkseid, Moon Knight and Batman, Deadpool and that other guy. Uh, ah! <laughs> uh, Brainiac. Deadshot? Yeah, you mean dead, Deadshot? I think so. Deadshot. Who know. came first? Yeah, I know. I just want to point out I, oh, who came and, first. And I, I mentioned Moon Knight, and, and, even though yeah, Batman well, came yeah, first. Well, I yeah. get you. Brainiac and Leader. Um, oh, you have. Yeah. That's a, Leader's a deep cut. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Thirdly, it anchors Marvel and DC as the two big fish in the pond, and everyone else just kind of flitters away. Everybody else which spells means, comics with an X on the end. Right. You know, they can't they can't compete financially. Which is horrible you know? for the artists because they basically just decide who to get dicked over by. Yeah, you know, like by, well, yeah. by leaving and coming back over and over. Now, all of this eventually leads to comic book fans growing up. Yes, uh, and chronologically uh, and developing. Uh, their own comic formats, though. Yes. Alan Moore is directly responding oh. to what he grew up and bemoaning. Uh, it gave creative agitation to people who wanted to do more with the medium. Yeah. Uh, which ultimately leads to graphic novels yes. as a critically acceptable medium. Like, at my school, we actually teach a few graphic novels as mm-hmm. um, as part of the curriculum. There's yeah. Mouse, Mouse 2. There's... Uh, uh, what's it called? It's uh, Polis. I forget exactly. Oh, Persepolis. Persepolis. Thank you. Um, An amazing piece of work. Oh, it's terrific. Uh, which ultimately uh, separates it com- from comic books, which yeah. forces comic books to catch up. And by the time comic books catch up to graphic novels, graphic novels are not bound by the CCA, and comic books in the early 2000s stopped caring about the CCA as well. And now we live in a world without the CCA. Yeah. So its own legacy created its own destruction. Well, yeah, it did. Um, I, I think as far as legacy goes, um, the biggest thing that, that struck me looking at, at this was that here we're talking about comic books. Mm-hmm. 
here we're talking about, oh my God, we have to protect our children from this lurid sex, violence, all mm-hmm. this horrible stuff. And then, so that was in 54. In 1985, it's interesting It's interesting that you mentioned Al Gore Sr. Mm-hmm. Because in 1985, <laughs> uh, the PMRC, which I've written down here and I didn't write down what it stood for, but it was the Washington Wives, led mm-hmm. by Tipper Gore, mm-hmm. wife of Senator Al Gore Jr., mm-hmm. uh, appeared before the Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee in September of 1985. Commerce, Science, and Transportation. Commerce, Science, and Transportation. Okay. And they they appeared before the committee mm-hmm. to argue for regulation or, or some kind of, of limitation being put on the music industry. They the wanted... Parents Music Resource Center. Thank you. Yeah. They, they called for mm-hmm. labeling... Yes. Like the CCA tag. They yep. wanted labels put on record albums that contained references to graphic sex, foul language, mm-hmm. and all everything else. You know, every, everything that the CCA had, had talked about. Mm-hmm. If music included it, they they wanted it, you know, they, they wanted it labeled. Which is a logical extension, it's, quite it's, honestly. It, it is. It's very much logical extension. And, and what I find interesting is... The Cold War was still going on. It's 1985. Mm-hmm. The hysteria of the Cold War had gone away largely, mm-hmm. and we were we were in that place where it's like, well, yes, we've just all grown up we with the understanding that that know you know, yeah, yeah, we don't know, you know, but but you and I grew up in this era where you know, well, we have the safety of mutually assured destruction. The Russians love their children <laughs> I too. Love that that's safe. Well, yeah, but. But you know, right. but that was that was kind of you know the, the understanding was the Russians love their children too, right? To quote Sting, you know, yep. paraphrase Sting because sure, he phrased sure. it as a question. But it's like you know they're they're not going to do anything to end the world. We're not going to do anything to end the world as long as we're both capable of ending the world. Mm-hmm. We're okay, which like <laughs> you know, and, and any and any number of comedians and and writers and poets mm-hmm. and everybody has gone on about how mad that is, but. That that gave us a mad mutually assured destruction. Yeah, yeah, well it, done. yeah. It gave us perhaps a false sense of security, but it gave us a sense of security. So there wasn't the hysteria about sure. you know death death from the sky at any moment. But what do, do you know? What the album was or the song was that motivated Tipper Gore mm-hmm. to start this crusade? I'm going to say it was something by Frank Zappa. No, no. Zappa Zappa appeared before the committee. Okay. Famously, him yeah. and D. Snyder are the two oh, best wow. known. Oh, D. Snyder yeah. showed up in full, full, full twisted, twisted sister, sister regalia nice. with you know his sharpened teeth and his whole nine sure. yards, and he basically, I mean, he did everything but throw the finger nice. <laughs> to Mrs. Gore. It was really, it's it's an so, amazing bit. So of what was the album? Theater, "Darling Nikki" by Prince was the song off the album "Purple Rain." Wow, which. Absolutely ties into all kinds of racial shit. Yeah, doesn't it though? <laughs> um, and and of course, one of the you know you remember from the debate at the time, mm-hmm. you know the, the two art forms, the the two subgenres of music mm-hmm. that were terrifying people the most. And yes. Darling Nikki doesn't really fall into either one of these, but the two that they like clamped down on mm-hmm. were metal, right? Which is you very know very white, very 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 white. Very white. Uh, you know, and and it's it's rock and roll from the fifties, Na plus ultra, with with like all of the yeah. violence and all of the you know. Uh, interestingly, of course, you know the band's covers that they that they showed were you know Def Leppard and um, Wasp, 
which like the wasp cover, you look at the wasp cover and you're like, <laughs> okay, I can see why that might be kind of troubling. It's, you know, sure. ne- nearly naked, you know, yeah. woman, all that. And then the, the uh, Def Leppard album was Pyromania. Oh, wow. Which the, the artwork okay. famously has, you know, a crosshairs and a, and a burning building in the background. Right. But the other art form... Now they, Fox News uses that to like, like running as Like a everything, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and the other the other art form that, that elicited all of this, mm-hmm. you know, panic... I'm going to assume it was rap. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, the other... Yeah. And, and, you know, the artists that got named, one of the groups that, that was, you know, all over... Run DMC talking. by this point, right? Uh, well, Run DMC was... I think probably the the most widely known okay. group, but they weren't the ones that elicited the moral panic so much. It was Two Live Crew. Oh, so we're talking eighty nine, eighty eight. Well, yeah, late, yeah. I mean, yeah. they they came along later, but but you know, I remember. But that that was you know the same moral panic when they were still mm-hmm. talking about oh my god we got to label this stuff right you know and so there's this. You know, because you know, Aerosmith came out. I remember they got yeah. an award, and they said we would just like to thank Tipper Gore because for every sticker she guarantees put on our albums is another million sold. Yep. So there you go. And and continuing that mm-hmm. on going forward since the 1990s, mm-hmm. um, and I'm spitballing with the date here, but sure. since the 1990s, the other art form. Mm-hmm. That has you know taken up the the flag of being the villain in terms of what's corrupting our kids mm-hmm. is video games. Oh yeah, yeah. And so there's this there's this never ending cycle of there's this new art form. It's acceptable art introduced. Yeah, it's acceptable art. Yeah. People get panicked about it because it's being consumed by kids. Now, metal music, rap at the time, mm-hmm. comic books in their day, and now mm-hmm. video games. All have this association with youth culture. They all have this association with young people. Sure. You know, even though an awful lot of metalheads I know are and our young age people or older. congregating. Too. Yeah, and young people getting together. When you're congreg- gaming, you're playing with other twelve-year-olds yeah. who also had sex yeah. with your mom. Yeah, yeah. Well, all of them did. <laughs> I mean, dude. You know, um, that's how you get to play. That's Call how of you Duty. get? Yeah, or or you know, Fortnite or whatever. Yeah. You know, and so. You know, it, it's 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 this thing that I think it's important for those of us who spend time thinking mm-hmm. to keep in mind that this is not, this is the, all of this has happened before and all of this will happen again to paraphrase BS to actually quote BSG, but apply it in a different context. Sure. All of this has happened before and all of this will happen again. Like so much else in history, there's always going to be something that kids are into that older folks are like, I don't understand this. Therefore, this is, this is, order this, it disrupts order. It disrupts order. It makes me uncomfortable. Therefore, it must be evil. Yep. You know, and that's just youth. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I, I know I'm guilty of it. Talking about, you know, my my students Mm -hmm. having access to Snapchat and and social media during the day in school. I'm I'm of the opinion, you know, the phones need to stay at home or be locked up or something during the school day because it's a new it's order it's order and you know as much as i want to try to be open-minded about it i'm i want them to get all off my lawn damn it and (laughs) you know no it makes sense i mean i teach a dead language that i'm trying to bring back into the lexicon not as a language but like into academia uh it used to be a regularly taught thing 
Yeah. And now it's not. And so I I use all kinds of new ways, uh, new disruptive ways, new ways that challenge the order mm-hmm. uh, to make it palatable to the kids. So mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm on the other side of my tetherball uh, <laughs> ring, hitting the ball yeah. a little extra so that I have some say over how this new chaos. And I say chaos loosely because it's yeah. just it's just order that I don't understand. Yeah. But how this new chaos is going to be played, so I'm trying to co-opt it uh, for yeah. you know to for the good of the children. <laughs> so dangerous phrase that. Yeah. Well, that was depressing. A little bit and bleak. So now that we've thoroughly depressed everybody with our, you know, ending of our discussion about the CCA, mm. uh, what what do you have as a final takeaway? I really to like talk about the very last thing that you said there about how this has all happened before, this will all happen again. I really like the the link that you made uh, connecting the different art forms and um, and honestly connecting that with what you and I have talked about uh, regarding the need for order. Mm-hmm. by the adults and the fear of the children and the chaos that they represent mm-hmm. uh, just even on a micro level uh, in our own households yeah so, how about yourself um i think the the biggest takeaway for me is looking at this kind of with fresh eyes and being reminded of like i said the cyclical nature of history mm-hmm. and and just the fact that um this is this this is a thing that has occurred before and that the forces that are that are behind it that were behind it at the time are ones that have not ever gone away and are never going to go away um you know th- again the bsg quote all of this has happened before all of this will happen again and and the fact that we need to pay attention to the underlying psycho history Mm. of it all to get science fiction geeky about it yeah um you know and and know kind of what what to be looking for which is the curse of those of us who study history is to watch those who didn't study history repeating it over and over again or to have that same student back in your class next year yeah well, lord yeah i'm yeah my <laughs> thank my, god for social promotion yeah i was gonna say my my district does <laughs> social promotion i don't ever have to deal with that I'm torn about how I feel on that point. Sure. So. All right. So we've finished our first discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Damien, what, what do we got coming up next? Uh, Ed, do you like Star Trek? I am more a Star Wars guy than mm-hmm. a Trek guy. I have a lot of friends who are really passionate uh, Trekkers. Um, I think that's the proper term. That's, nowadays, yeah, that's the Trekkies. preferred yeah, term. You know, yeah. um, I, I have a number of friends who are very passionate. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I, I have always been kind of Trek adjacent. Yeah. In, yeah. in I mean, if you're a geek, you kind of have to be. Yeah. Um, I've watched every Star Trek episode there is. I've watched, wow. I think, every movie there is up until the last one or two. Uh, I'm also much more a Star Wars guy. To be fair, I'd rather live in a Star Trek universe than a Star Wars universe because mm. they have things like healthcare. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, having watched all the Star Trek episodes that there are, um, there's one series uh, that really stuck in my craw, and it was called Star Trek Enterprise. Actually, it wasn't even called Star Trek Enterprise, it was just called Enterprise. And it came about um, right on the heels of Voyager, uh, 
Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to take a look at uh, where it fits into our cultural milieu because it also came about two weeks after 9-11 happened. Okay. So we're going to take a look at how 9-11 didn't just ruin things for, uh, what do we call those, civil liberties, but yeah. also uh, for Star Trek. So uh, next podcast will be an exploration of space and our inability to imagine things in a post-9-11 world. All right. All right. Stay tuned, folks. Sounds really bleak and depressing. So yeah. it'll fit right in. Right. Yeah. All right. See you soon.